Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome as we gather to worship uh, God together. As we come to the Lord this morning, we think of really praising him. And one of the Psalms, or many of the Psalms speak of that, but Psalm 150 speaks of that really most vividly. It speaks of praising the Lord. It says this, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his acts of power, praise him for his surpassing greatness, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet, praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together as we come to praise him. Father God, we do praise you for you are glorious. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, with all of our being to praise you this morning, to lift our minds, lift our hearts, lift our souls to you. That whatever burdens we bring in the door, that we would cast them to you and lift our eyes to you. We pray that you would help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And now Steve's going to come with our reading for this morning. Reading this morning is from John's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 43 to 54. This follows on from what we read last week of the encounter with the woman at the well. And it said that Jesus stayed in that place for two days. So, after the two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay ill at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, You will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Thanks, Steve. Morning, everybody. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your word. I do pray this morning as we study your word together that we would see you, we'd see you in all your glory, that we would want to put our trust in you if we have not done so already. Lord, help us to surrender all of our 
lives to you, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're um, here this morning and uh, you are already a Christian, then think back to that moment when you decided to, to follow Jesus. What was it that made you put your trust in him? How long did it take you to get to that point? Was it a, an instantaneous decision? Or did it happen over many years? Or if you're not yet at that point of uh, becoming a committed follower of Jesus Christ, what is it that you would make you change your mind? What do you need to hear? What would you need to see to convince you that Jesus Christ is real, that he is God, and that he's worth giving up your life for? Maybe you would answer, well, if Jesus came back today and I could see him in front of me and he performed a miracle, um, then I would believe. Or maybe you say, even if he wasn't here, um, but performed a miracle in my life today, then I would believe. This term we're doing a sermon series in John's Gospel under the heading, Come and See. Last week, what convinced the Samaritan woman at the well to believe that Jesus was who he said he was, was that he showed her that he knew everything about her. So she went back to her her town and said, come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. The passage finished last week in verse 39 of chapter where I said many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. These people listened to Jesus, and because of his words, they became believers. We not, might not be able to, to listen to Jesus speak to us in person today. I'm afraid you just got me instead. But actually, we can still listen to him speak to us through his words in the Bible. As the Holy Spirit helps us to understand them, as he helps us see the truth in them. In the passage we're going to look at this morning, we see another person come to believe. as a different process that he goes through from the, the Samaritan woman. But it's a similar process to that which many people go through. And it helps us understand the process of faith. And three common steps. A faith, first of all, accepts that we are weak and we need help. Secondly, faith trusts in the power and the love of Jesus. And thirdly, faith seeks to obey and glorify Jesus. These three steps may happen at virtually the same time as we see in this story this morning, or they may take many years. Some of you may be at step one. Um, you know you're weak, you know you need help, but you're just not quite sure where to go for that help. Is it Jesus to whom you should go, or should you go somewhere else? Some may be at step two. You, you believe that Jesus is God, but... You're not yet willing just to put your whole trust in him and commit your life to him. 
You still have a sort of belief, but that's about as far as it goes. Well, let's see what happens in this story um, with the a royal official. Let's start with our first uh, heading. The faith accepts that we are weak and we need help. Verse 46, we're told, uh, Once more Jesus visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. The ruler of Galilee at that time was Herod Antipas, and so as a royal official, he was probably in Herod's court. The thing about royal officials is that um, they don't normally do any begging. Uh, They are the ones who are ordering others around, telling them what they should do. They're the ones who have servants waiting on them. But this man's son is sick and he's desperate. There's nothing he can do to make him well. Maybe doctors have tried and have failed, but he now knows that um, his son is close to death. But he's heard that this man Jesus has arrived in the area. This is the one who performed miracles, um, the one who changed water into wine at that wedding in Cana. And so he travels the the 20 miles or so from Capernaum to Cana to find him. He knows he has no right to demand Jesus to do anything, even if he is a royal official. All he can do is plead to him to have mercy. And so he begs for him to come and heal his son. And interestingly, Jesus' first response is quite critical. He says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. He's not just getting at the royal official here, he's getting at all the the Jews. We've uh, just read in the previous story how the, the Samaritans believed simply by listening to what Jesus said. Whereas the Jews will not accept his teaching unless he backs it up with a supernatural miracle. And that helps us understand verse 44 where it says Jesus himself pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. It says that the Galileans welcomed him, but it was simply because they'd seen all the miracles he'd done in Jerusalem. They wanted to see some miracles for themselves. We know right from the beginning of John's gospel when the birth of Jesus is announced that he would face rejection from his own people. Back in chapter 1 it said, he, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The rejection of Jesus by the Jews continues throughout his life. That ultimately um, leads to his crucifixion, his own countrymen calling for him to be crucified. So here Jesus is criticizing the Jews, of which the royal official is one. He's criticizing them for not accepting his teaching unless he backs it up with a supernatural miracle. And he's challenging, in some ways, the royal official in his request. Does he just want Jesus to do a miraculous thing for him? Or does he see in Jesus the true king and want to know and follow him? It's the same challenge for us today, isn't it? Do we just call out to God when we want him to do something for us? 
when we're afraid of losing something or someone dear to us? Do we tell him what we think he should do as if we know best? Or do we want to have a living relationship with him and submit to his perfect will for our lives? What we see in the story is not just how the man's son is saved physically, but also how the man himself is saved spiritually. And the amazing thing is that Jesus is willing to work with with any of us, however weak or immature our faith may be. Despite Jesus' criticism, the royal official doesn't give up. We see here he perseveres, he pleads with Jesus because he's terrified of losing his son. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. In other words, before it's too late, he believes the only way Jesus might be able to heal him is if he comes back with him and they get there before he dies. The way Jesus commonly works is when we get to the point of realizing there's nothing we can do apart from depend on Jesus. Of course, to acknowledge our weakness goes totally against the, the message that our society teaches us, which is that we can do anything if we put our mind to it. Encourage us to be independent, to be self-reliant, to be strong and confident, and not show any sign of weakness or failure. The trouble is where that leads is that people become scared of, of failure, of making mistakes or for owning up to them. So instead they resort to to lying and and covering them up. Which means you end up in a world where dishonesty becomes normal. And you don't know who you can trust and and what to believe. One of the things that recent times have taught us is that as human beings there's a lot that we're not in control of. That we are weak and powerless. Viruses is a clear example, isn't it? The climate natural disasters, the economy. As individuals, we're not in control of our own health, our finances, our work situation. All of those things can change. If we try and kid ourselves that we we can be in control of everything, then we will struggle. However, when we acknowledge our own weakness and trust in the strength that Jesus gives us, the love that he has for us, then that will remove our worry and our fear. For those who know they're weak and struggling, in many ways that step is easier to take, isn't it? For those like the royal official who are used to being in control, for whom life is comfortable, it's a bigger step. And often requires God to do something quite dramatic in their lives to help them see. And when he does, it's not because he enjoys seeing someone suffer, but it's because of his love for them. Faith accepts that we are weak And we need help. But faith trusts in the power and love of Jesus. Having heard the man's request and seen his desperation, seen his faith, however small that may be, Jesus says to him very abruptly, Go, your son will live. Jesus doesn't rebuke him for not having the faith to believe that he can heal from a distance without being physically present. He just does it. And look at the response of the man and the way his faith grows at this point. He doesn't say to Jesus, well, come with me 
and heal him. He doesn't ask, us, well, how, ask Jesus, well, how are you going to do that? If I just go from here, how do I know that you're going to heal him? It simply says, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. Literally, the Greek says, the man believed the word. He believed that Jesus had the power to do what he said and that Jesus' love compelled him to do what he said. He believed his son would live even though he didn't know how. And the thing about faith is that it involves putting your trust in things you cannot see. The Apostle Thomas, known as the doubter, said to the other disciples after Jesus' resurrection, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into the side, I will not believe. Well, unlike most people, he did get the opportunity to to do just that when Jesus appeared before him. And as a result, he did believe. But Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In the book of Hebrews, it says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So why then did Jesus do these miracles? Why did he perform the signs and wonders? Well, they were to demonstrate uh, that he was who he said he was, that he really was the Messiah, the saviour of the world. But they were also designed to make the, the witnesses of these miracles want to follow him. Lots of signs that Jesus has performed during his life on earth. And the ones chosen by John to include in his book were for a reason. As it says in chapter 20, he said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Well, the first sign uh, that John mentions in the book that Jesus did also happened in Cana. It was the changing of water into wine. Let me turn back to chapter 2, verse 11. There it says, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed him. And coming back to chapter 4, the passage finishes in verse 54 by saying, this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. So it's like these two signs form two bookends for this section of the book. The signs are in order to reveal Jesus' glory and to cause people to believe in him. And to believe in him, not just in the sense of believing that he is who he says he is, but wanting to follow him, wanting to obey him, wanting to glorify him. And in so doing, enjoying life in his name. We may not see many physical signs or miracles today. But the greatest miracle of all is to see lives changed by Christ. To see someone who used to trust in themselves come to the point of acknowledging their weakness, their need for Christ, to see them open up God's word and find Jesus. To see People like that believe in him and want to follow him. That is an amazing miracle. 
when we don't see many people come to faith or the people we love come to faith, it's easy to become discouraged, maybe to doubt the power of God and think there must be something else that we can do for this to happen. Well, the beauty of God's power is in its simplicity. As Paul said in his letter to the Corinthians, Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to tell people the good news about him, however foolish that might sound, to live lives that demonstrate how much we trust him, and to ask God in prayer to keep us firm in our faith, and that through his power to bring others to faith for the sake of his glory. And just as the father in this story persevered in his request to Jesus, so are we to persevere in prayer and not to give up. I've recently been reading uh, this book called Mountain Rain. I don't know whether any of you read that. It's the, the biography of a guy called James Fraser. Uh, he was a young Brit who felt at the beginning of the 19th century, uh, sorry, the 20th century, um, to go as a missionary to the remote Lisu tribe in China, quite a mountainous area, a remote area of China. Um, he was only 22 at the time he went. Uh, work involved dangerous trekking, um, often for many days at a time, quite primitive living, um, the risk of tropical disease. It involved developing the whole Lisu language so that people could, could read and understand. But he knew his greatest threat came from spiritual attack. But that his greatest weapon was that of prayer. He wrote in his diary this, he wrote, Our work among the least who is not going to be a bed of roses spiritually. I know enough about Satan to realize that he will have all his weapons ready for determined opposition. He would be a missionary simpleton who expected plain sailing at any work for God. I will not, by God's grace, let anything deter me from going straight ahead in the path to which he leads. But I shall feel greatly strengthened if I know of a definite company of prayers holding me up. I'm confident that the Lord is going to do work sooner or later among the Lisu here. Well, sure enough, the spiritual attack came. Uh, For many years, his work seemed to be ineffective. For long periods, he wrestled with doubts and suicidal despair. But he began to call more and more upon his friends at home to join him in disciplined, fervent prayer. He knew that their work of prayer was just as important as his was. And eventually he saw great breakthroughs as hundreds of entire households gave up their idols and turned to Christ in repentance and faith. They set up their own churches and today it's estimated that there are some 300,000 Lisu Christians. Faith trusts in the power and the love of Jesus and perseveres in prayer. That's a picture of James Fraser there at the back with some of those Lisu Christians from China. 
Well, finally, faith seeks to obey and to glorify Jesus. We saw how the royal official believed that Jesus had both the power and the love to do what he said he would. And so he sets off. Um, it's quite a way back to Capernaum. It would have needed an overnight stop. Um, but the following day, as he's heading back to uh, Capernaum, he meets his servants on the way to come and tell him that his son uh, has been healed. He's uh, made an amazing recovery. And for some, that may have been enough. Um, all that matters was that he was now alive. It didn't really matter how that happened, um, whether it really was by Jesus' miraculous healing or whether he just got, back, got better naturally. But there's a bigger miracle here going on in the heart of this man. He wants to know who Jesus really is. And so he asks his servants, at what time did his son get better? And they replied, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And then it says the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And what impact did that miracle have on him? Well, it says, so he and his whole household believed. He already had some faith, but through the miracle of saving his son's physical life, Jesus has done a a bigger miracle of saving the father's life, which in turn led to the saving of his whole household by giving them eternal life. As it says back in chapter 3 of John's Gospel, the previous chapter, these wonderful words, as I'm sure will be familiar to many of you, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The man's faith has become a, a saving faith. He doesn't now just believe that Jesus is able to do miraculous things. He believes that he's the son of God. He, he trusts in him for his eternity. He has submitted his life to him. And now he lives to glorify him. God may do a physical miracle in your life. He, he may heal you from a serious illness. He, he may rescue you from a desperate situation. But he's already done something far more amazing than that. He sent his son into this world to live a perfect life, to die a perfect death for our sakes, so that we might be made right with God and enjoy eternal life with him. So if you don't believe that, then let me ask you, what is it it you're putting your trust in? Because we all put our trust in something or someone in this, this, this life. If you do believe that, and do you just believe it in your, your head <clears throat> and just carry on as if you are in control of your life? You don't need anybody else's help? Or do you trust in Jesus with your whole life, knowing that your eternity depends on it? When you stand before Jesus on the day of judgment and he asks you, why should you be allowed into heaven? What will you say? That you led a good life? That you... You went to church regularly, maybe that you were even baptized. None of that in itself will be sufficient. The only answer that matters is whether you believe that Jesus died in your place to take the penalty you deserved and that you have sought to follow him as the Lord of your life. It's by trusting in God's grace that we are saved. 
And if you do have a saving faith, um, praise God for that. But maybe you're just feeling a little bit discouraged at the moment. We'll pray that Jesus will help you regain your confidence in his power and his love. And that he would give you the strength to persevere to the end. Let's pray. Father God, we do acknowledge our, our weakness as human beings, we are powerless in many ways to control things in our lives. And we do need help. And we thank you that you offer us that help. That as we turn away from trusting in ourselves and leading our lives our way. And turn instead to you and seek your forgiveness and your love. That you can do an amazing miracle in our lives. Thank you. If we have already experienced that miracle, that we already belong to you, we, we praise you for that. If we haven't yet experienced that, Lord, then we pray that you would cause us to turn to you and experience that power and that love for ourselves. Lord, as we go from here, we want to do your will. We want to submit to your will. We want to glorify you in all that we do. And if we are feeling discouraged at this time, Lord, we pray you would give us that great confidence, give us that courage to, to go forth, uh, proclaim your word, and to know that you are a powerful God. Whatever may seem foolish to the world around us, we know is not foolish at all. It is wise and is the way of eternity. So send us out in the power of your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.